It's the final days of six-year no-interest financing at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Upgrade that leaky, squeaky patio door from just $84 a month. Set your free consultation now at 855-PALA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. It... It, if you really want to wonder what like a like a flurry of activity is, you should be around our studios today because as the flagship for the first place Milwaukee Brewers and the one game away from the World Championship Milwaukee Bucks, trust me, lots and lots of activity going on and a lot of other things happening as well. And God, we're, we're, just keep it tuned to WTMJ for the next few days. You don't want to miss everything. Anything. Speaking of not missing anything. One of the really fun things that I have done over the last several years in connection with the start of State Fair, now we didn't do it last year because there wasn't a State Fair, was what we call Cream Puff a Palooza. And a number of people have been e- e- you know, emailing me saying, okay, are you going to do it again? A- and yes, we are, but it's a little bit different. This is the event where you know we used to have people line up and people would start lining up at like one in the morning the day before the State Fair started and then we'd start giving away cream puffs like at 6.20 in the morning or something. And I just remember how cool it was. You'd see this long line of cars. Well, Cream Puff of Palooza is back, but it's a little bit different. The Cream Puff of Palooza is back, but this year it's with a twist. No more waiting in line at 3 a.m. No more hoping to get to the front before the Cream Puffs are all gone. Here's what you need to do. Head to WTMJ.com, our website, right now, and you can register for a six-pack of delicious cream puffs. It's Cream Puff of Palooza from the Wisconsin State Fair and WTMJ. For all the official contest rules, go to WTMJ.com, but you're, you're not going to have to wait in line at 3 o'clock in the morning. You are, though, going to have to register, and you're going to have to register right away. So um, go this is kind of my sort of my gift to you right away. What you want to do is you want to receive this, um, like I say, after 300 fans have registered um, at WTMJ.com. The first 300 fans to register will receive an email notification from our great marketing team with further instructions on picking up their six-pack of cream puffs. So you're hearing about it now. We're just rolling this out today. So if you're interested in that six-pack of cream puffs, go to WTMJ.com, and then you can uh, follow the thing. 620 WTMJ Wisconsin State's Fair Cream Puff Palooza. Do not want anybody to miss out on that. All right. Well, there's a lot of good news, and we will be talking about the good news. There, There is a breaking bad news story that's out there. Uh, the Dow Jones, the stock market, is in the tank big time. It's it's headed for the largest single-day decrease since um, last October. As we speak, the Dow Jones is down 832 points. The NASDAQ is down 190 points. Now, the only good news is that a few minutes ago, the Dow Jones was down over 900 points. It, it's The stock market is cratering right at the moment, and, and it's... It's all because of concerns about the Delta variant 
and concerns um, that um, you know maybe Europe in particular is going to have to you know shut down again because of the spread of this and reports that you know in certain parts of the United States the number of hospitalizations are increasing again among the vaccinated but the bottom line is and we will be following that all day uh, it was a bad week in the stock market last week for a lot of factors not related to the coronavirus. And today it appears to be just mostly coronavirus and pandemic concerns. Dow right now down 830 points. Yuck. We will continue to keep you updated on that. The good news, of course, lots of great stuff from the world of sports. Over the weekend, the Milwaukee Brewers, the first place Milwaukee Brewers, had a three-game series with the Cincinnati Reds, who were number two in the division. And you will recall that right before the All-Star break, Cincinnati came in, came into American Family Field and won three out of four games, cut the Brewers' lead in the division to, I believe, four games. Well, okay, and a lot of people were thinking, well, if if Cincinnati can continue to get hot over the weekend, because after the All-Star break, the Brewers played three games in Cincinnati, well, okay, we, we could really have a race here. Well, the Brewers went out over the weekend, took care of business, won two close games on Friday and Saturday, and then kind of blow out win yesterday. They won three in a row. They now lead the Central Division by seven games not counting anything we're not you know counting our laurels uh, but it's it's very good at this point very big wins and the brewers certainly are unless they fall flat on their faces you got to say that they're one of the favorites to make the playoffs and then with their pitching staff who knows what happens for those of you who are keeping score at home tomorrow the game against the Kansas City Royals was originally scheduled for 7-10 in the evening. And I was speculating last week how I was going to, I was curious as to how it was going to be. And I, I have tickets for the game tomorrow that was scheduled for tomorrow night. I was curious how it was going to be because I'm trying to picture everybody sitting in the stands trying to watch again the, the, watch the Bucks game while they're, they're paying attention to the Brewers game. Once, once the Bucks won on Saturday night, the Brewers announced yesterday a, a very, very smart decision that they're moving the game time up from 7.10 at night to 3.10 in the afternoon, which means our coverage starts about 2.30 in the afternoon. But the idea is you'll be able to listen to the Brewers game, or if you've got tickets, you'll be able to attend the Brewers game. The Brewers game will presumably, you know, end 6, 6.30-ish, giving you plenty of time to either get to the Deer District, or if you're lucky enough to have tickets to the basketball game, or, you know, get home to watch the game. So big sports day, and you can hear it here on News Radio 620 WTMJ all throughout the day. In my opinion, a very, very smart move by the Brewers. Because, I mean, first of all, you don't want to be competing against this. But secondly, I, I think if you're a sports fan here, now I understand there's some people who are basketball fans and don't care about baseball. And there's some people who are baseball fans and don't care about basketball. But the bottom line of all this is I think a lot of us are Wisconsin sports fans and understand that the Bucks are on the verge of doing something heroic, epic, something that happened, hasn't happened in 50 years. And sports fans want to be paying attention to that, which brings me to where I want to start the program today. We moved here. My parents are originally from the East Coast. They're from the, my mom was from Annapolis, Southern Maryland. My dad was from Baltimore. And we moved here when I was about 10 years old. We moved here 1967, so you can do the math, figure out how old I am. Um, we moved here in 1967. And at the time, Milwaukee did not have a major league 
baseball team. The Braves had left, and the Brewers were were not here for a couple more years. Didn't have an NBA team. I mean, there was the Packers, but but the Packers were a Green Bay team. So it was kind of a, a sports wasteland in a way, at least as far as professional sports went. Well, that all kind of changed when you had the NBA expansion draft and you had the the Bucks came into an existence in what 1968. Then a couple years later, you know, you you had the Seattle Pilots moved and they became the Brewers. Now, <clears throat> the Bucks, they ended up because they won the coin flip and got Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, they, they won the title in 1971. Oscar Robertson, I remember their forward was a guy named Bob Dandridge, who actually, this showed the, the difference, I think, in salaries nowadays. Bob Dandridge actually lived down the street from where I lived in Glendale back in the day. Not, I'm not sure that the NBA players are living in kind of those middle-class neighborhoods now, but but that was the way it was back then. So I can remember the NBA championship in 1971. I I remember Oscar Robertson. I remember Kareem. I remember how excited the city was. Okay, that was 1971. The Bucs have had some lean years, but they've had some very, very good teams over the years. It never occurred to me when I was a a kid, when I was a teenager, watching the Bucs in the NBA finals, 1971. It never occurred to me that it was going to be 50 years before they got back to the NBA championships. You just don't think of things like that. I remember the Brewers, their first World Series and only World Series, 1982. And I can remember going to the the games and things like that. I was... uh, I was a law school student at the time, and I can remember that. And, and you know, the Brewers came up one game short. They lost in seven games to St. Louis. But I can remember in 1982, it... it it would have never occurred to me that it would be now 39 or almost 40 years later, and the Brewers have never been back to the World Series. Never been back to the World Series. Now, hopefully this year will be the year that changes, but 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 who knows? I can remember, again, I remember the, the Packers in 67 and the Ice Bowl game and all that, and then all the lean years that were there, and then the two Super Bowls in the mid-'90s. And I know people who think... I mean, they really thought there was going to be a Packers dynasty in the mid-90s, and, and nobody thought it was going to be 14 or 15 years until they went to the Super Bowl again in 2010. And I'm willing to bet that there were a lot of people who saw the Packers in the Super Bowl against Pittsburgh in 2010 who, who were sure, you know, that, that sometime in the next 10 years they would have been back to the Super Bowl, and they haven't. And I bring this up because whether it's the Packers or whether it's the Brewers in the World Series 40 years ago or the Bucks winning the NBA championship 50 years ago, years ago it's it, it, it's to underscore how how rare and, and special it is for your professional sports team to be playing for a world championship it just flat out doesn't happen that often it, it just it just doesn't and so i think it's really important to I mean, look at what's going on with the Bucks, and whether you're a, a diehard basketball fan or whether you're an occasional basketball fan or whether you're just a sports fan in general or whether you're a fan of this community, it's, it's important to recognize just how special this is and how rare it is and how tough and difficult it is to reach this point. I, I would throw in, I'm a Marquette Law School graduate, but I would throw in 1977, Al McGuire's last year, Marquette, then the Warriors, wins the NCAA championship. Okay, well, it, it's 45, that's been 45 years 
It's been 45 years. And yes, they, they've played again. You know, they, they've, they've advanced to the finals and things like that, or the final four, but they haven't won another championship. That's 45 years. Okay, I want to open up the phone lines, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand I, I'm, I'm dating you a little bit with this question, but I, I think for people who weren't alive or around or paying attention back in 1971, it's it's important to recognize and remember how long ago that was. Richard Nixon was the president. This was pre-Watergate. So your recollection of the last Bucks championship in 1971, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line, vivid recollections, vague recollections. What do you remember? And I say this because who knows what people are going to remember from this run. But you want to savor everything because you don't know how long it's going to be till it happens again. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Your recollection of the last time around. We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You know, look, I don't know how the game's going to turn out tomorrow night, but if the Bucks win in six, it will be 50 years between NBA championships. That's that's an awful long time. And I think we all need to appreciate how special this is and, and how everybody thinks, oh, my team's going to be a dynasty and they're, they're going to be back. Well, maybe people thought that in 1971 and it hasn't happened in 50 years. Your recollection of the last time the Bucks won a championship. Dennis, uh, on the south side, Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, um, in nineteen in nineteen seventy one, I was a junior at Marquette University, and in my second season as a member of the Milwaukee Bucks statistical crew, and um, I remember that year the Bucks were something like sixty six and sixteen, and they were expected to face the New York Knicks in the final championship series. Right. Well, the Bucks matched up horribly against the Knicks. I think they lost four out of five regular season games. Well, lo and behold, the Bullets, Baltimore Bullets, upset the Knicks, and the Bucks matched up much better against the Bullets. I think they won uh, four out of five during the regular season right. and, of course, swept them in the championship uh, series. And one of my memories is uh, certainly there was excitement back then, but not to the extent it is now. And myself, as well as my fellow statisticians, we thought this would be the first of many, many yeah. titles for the Bucks <laughs> with Kareem and everything. Yeah. Of course, Kareem left. Kareem left. The Bucks had some really competitive teams in the 80s. They got to the division or the conference right. final several times, but never to the championship. Right. They, they couldn't get past the, the Julius Irvings, and they, they always ran into like some of those superstar players and stuff. So back, I mean, did, did you get a chance to interact as a statistician, statistician? Did you get a chance to interact with the players at all back then? Um, not so much the players, more so the media, the Journal and Sentinel sports writers and the TV guys and everything. We interacted and interacted more with them. Right. Very cool. Thanks for calling. Well, you know, it's interesting. You, you raised the point, Dennis, about the um, the 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 Bucks back then. Um, there, I think there's an extra round of playoffs now, but they, they won 
that the, the Western, they were at the time, they were in the Western Conference, not the Eastern Conference. They, they won the first series. They played the San Francisco Warriors back when they were the San Francisco Warriors, not the Golden State Warriors. They, they rolled over them. They won four to one. Then they played in the W and the NBA Western Conference Finals against the Los Angeles Lakers and they, they beat the Lakers four to one. Now the Lakers went on in following years to have to have a big run themselves but the bucks were there in 71 and dennis is absolutely right that the new york knicks were the prohibitive favorites to come out of the east and now that now it's the washington wizards but back then it was baltimore and it was the baltimore bullets and we can't call a team the bullets anymore but you know they surprised the knicks and then came on and they just got rolled by the bucks the bucks won um 4-0 so um Three series, Bucks won 12, lost two. So it was kind of a dominant thing. And I appreciate what Dennis was saying. I think for a lot of people, it, you, you really thought this was going to be a Bucks dynasty. And because even, you know, even moving forward, I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar left a couple years later, but they had him for a couple years. But it just shows how, how tough it is. Los Angeles, you know, got better. Some of the other teams got better. And you just, you, that's, I come back to my basic notion. You got to appreciate how special it is about what's going on now. Eric on the North Side. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, I echo a lot about the point. I thought the series was anticlimactic because everybody was looking forward to a Bucks Knicks series. Yeah. Um, my bigger memory was in 74 where I was able to go to Game 7, because if you look it up, Game 7 was not sold out. It was on a Sunday morning, and I was getting ready to watch the game, and they announced it was not going to be on ABC because it was not a sellout. So wow. I took the bus down to the arena, and I paid $4 for a ticket, <laughs> and I sat in the 10th row for Game 7 of the finals. And that was the game they lost to the to the Boston Celtics. Yes. They they had won Game 6 in Boston, and everybody thought, oh, yep. okay, now they're they're going to close it out at home, and they ended up losing, which is, is a cautionary tale for everybody who's thinking that tomorrow night's in the bag, because, you know, who, who knows exactly what could happen. Remember the 82 Brewers. They were up 3-2 against St. Louis. Everybody said all they got to do is win one out of two, and they dropped them both. So yeah, you, I think whoever wins tomorrow will win the series. Well, thanks, Nicole. Well, definitely if the Bucks win, you're, you're definitely right. You know, it, it's funny you make that point. When Okay, in the, before the Brewers in the World Series in 1982, they, they play, the playoffs were a five-game series, and, and it was just there were just two teams that made the playoffs, and in the, for the American League, the World Series was seven games, but the American League playoffs were the California Angels and the Brewers, and it was two games in California and then three games at home. The, the Brewers lost the first two games on the road, and I always remember this because I was living downtown at the time, and I had tickets to the playoff games, and I, I, was, I would take the bus back and forth so you didn't have to fool with driving and all, and I was on this bus going out there with all these California fans every day, and the first day going out for the Friday game, they were just positive that their team was going to win, and then the second day, they were positive that their team was going to win, and by Sunday there there was a lot of I mean I think you know a lot of questioning and stuff like that and of course the Brewers ended up winning I just again it's it's very very special enjoy the ride that that's that's my that's my advice I feel good about the game tomorrow night but it doesn't matter these are special times these are times that you will remember now again hopefully we're looking at the start of a Bucks dynasty that that would be outstanding but that's tough to do in professional sports um, enjoy it, bask in it over the course of the next couple of days. And if they do bring the championship home, um, how great would that be for this area? 
The newest summer event is the WTMJ Classic from the club at Lock LaBelle in Oconomowoc. And you can be part of it. Our WTMJ is hit team is hitting the golf course this August for a day of food, fun, and networking. Want to join us? Tune in all week for a chance to win a round of golf for you and three friends. It's the WTMJ Classic, hosted by the club at Lock LaBelle, sponsored by Imperial Service Systems, Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin, Griffin Ford, and Gruber Law Offices. Yeah, the bloodbath on the stock market continues. Dow down 913 points. NASDAQ down 207. It's not... There's nothing fundamental that, that's going on. It's not like bad earnings or something. It's just over the weekend, apparently investors got panicked that, I don't know, we might have to have more lockdowns and things, more conversations about that in a minute. So this is all this is all fear about the Delta variant driving the market down 900 points, which is a 2.6% decrease. Okay. I talk regularly on this program about the, the out-of-control levels of, of crime to the point that it doesn't, it doesn't even get reported on the radio or unless it's a murder and unless it's almost a spectacular murder, it, it doesn't get talked about unless it's the former county executive from the, from Milwaukee County getting carjacked. We, we, we rarely discuss all the different carjackings that are going on. And if it's a theft or if it's an assault that doesn't result in somebody dying, well, it just, it just doesn't get it. There's so many of these things occurring that it gets almost no attention. But that doesn't mean that they're not occurring in incredible numbers. I, I sent out a tweet, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 the other day, that links a, 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 a service. And actually, I give them credit. It's an up-to-date crime statistics uh, report that they have that the Milwaukee Police Department has online. And it lists the, the number of reported car thefts, for example, you know, um, uh, year to date, and it compares them to the total number last year and the total number two years ago. It's very, very informative, and, and you can really get an idea of how out of control crime is. For example, we are now, there were some homicides over the weekend. Now, Milwaukee. 91 homicides year to date, same time last year, 90. And what's really scary about that is last year we just blew past all sorts of all-time records so that the number of, of homicides is is at a pace with last year's record pace, which is just unbelievable. Motor vehicle theft is up dramatically. This time last year there were 1,850 cars stolen. This year... 5,411. That averages out to approximately 27 cars a day stolen from the mean streets of Milwaukee. 27 cars a, a day. I mean, think about it. If you work in a, in a mid-size office, that's, you, maybe, maybe you got 27 cars that are parked in your parking lot. Imagine if every one of those cars was stolen every single day. And the reality, as we've talked about, is it, it's, it's a low priority. And I'm not, this is not critical of the police. The, the prosecutors essentially won't issue felony charges about this because there's so many other stuff, so much other violent crime that's going on that the police don't make car theft a priority. And even if you catch the person and even if they somehow get dragged into court, most of the time the judges are going to slap them on the wrist and send them back out again. And and it's really one of these things where people are just kind of throwing up their hands and saying there's nothing we can do about it. There's nothing that we're able to do about just a lot of the other areas of crime as well. You can try your best. But it's it's just gotten so out of control. And I think one of the things that's happening is there is a frustration. 
And this is the frustration that occurs when people believe the system isn't working. One of the reasons I think legal firearm sales are up so much is because I think people sense that, I don't know, are civilian authorities kind of losing control? And, and do we, do people need to do more to protect themselves from the violence that is out there and from the crimes? Which brings me to a story out of Kenosha last Friday night. About 5.30 in the evening at the mobile, there's a mobile gas station on 50th and Sheridan Road. Sheridan Road is one of the, the main streets in, in Kenosha. So what happens apparently is there, there's someone, I believe it's a male, who he's, he's at the gas station. He leaves his car unattended and running. Unattended and running. Now, I, I, I do, let me just say this at the beginning. Who leaves your car unattended and running? That, that's just, it's, it's a recipe, whether it's Kenosha or Racine or Mequon or Milwaukee or Waukesha or wherever, leaving your car even for a couple minutes unattended and running is an extremely bad idea because, well, we, I mean, you, you can leave your car locked and there's a decent chance it's going to get stolen nowadays, but leaving your car unattended and running is, is sort of a recipe for disaster and theft. So what happens is there's two teenage Girls. So far, they've only been identified. All they say is the juveniles. So two teenage girls apparently see this car that has been left unoccupied and running in the gas station. And they do, I guess, what any teenage kid does nowadays. You see the car unattended and running. You jump in and you steal it. So the girls jump in the car and they try to drive away, at which point in time the owner of the car sees the car being stolen, and what he does is the car is driving away. He apparently has a gun. Now, I don't know at this point in time whether he was legally carrying the gun or or not. I'm assuming he did have a concealed carry permit, but I don't know one way or the other. In any event, the guy's got a gun. Guy pulls out the gun and shoots at the car as it is driving away. Apparently, what happens is he hits the girl who is is driving. I mean, he hits the driver of the car. And what happens is the driver of the car then crashes into a fence um, uh, just in, in the immediate area. Uh, the girl is transported. This would be the teenage car thief is transported via flight for life helicopter to Children's Hospital. The uh, other teenager that was in the car um, she's, you know, she was questioned. It's unclear about whether or not she's going to be arrested for attempted car, th- uh, for stealing car or not. But then you have the owner of the car who fired at the car and, and he's also been taken into custody. Okay. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, let me be real clear here because a number of people texted me about this. I understand the frustration that people have with the out-of-control crime around here. And I understand the frustration and the aggravation that somebody would have, you know, coming out of a gas station or, or whatever, and whether or not you left your car running or not, seeing some kid driving away in the car. I, I understand that frustration. I also understand the frustration that people would have thinking, okay, you know, th- this car is going to be gone. That kid's going to get away with it. 
855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, under the law, you can only use deadly force in order to prevent a, a, a threat to yourself or others. So, I mean, that, that's it. You had to believe that you were being threatened by this. Shooting at a fleeing car is in no way, shape, or form, at least in my opinion, whether it's a stolen car or not, is is that a legitimate use of, of deadly force, right? Which is why the guy has been charged. We don't have the death penalty for car thieves. And so clearly that's what the issue is. number of people reached out to me and said, Jeff, you know, regardless of what the law might be, I don't think there's any way a jury convicts this guy of the shooting. I'm not so sure. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the shooter be charged in this case? My answer is, yeah, you, you've got to charge him. You can't shoot at people who are driving away from you, even if they're driving away in your car, no matter how frustrated you are with out-of-control crime. What do you think? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think the DA's office has any choice in this. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, the guy that shot the teenager who was stealing his car in Kenosha, I I think you've got to charge him. At the same time, I I think this needs to be a lesson, and you're going to hear it from some of the texts and some of the calls. This needs to be a lesson to the the movers and shakers and the powers that be. People are extremely frustrating with the frustrated with the lawlessness that goes on here. And and my concern is, if if we as a society don't get control of that lawlessness, you're going to have more people who feel entitled to take the law into their own hands. Let's start with Chris in New Berlin. Chris, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. I uh, absolutely agree with you. We have to prosecute this individual. Uh, Second Amendment, I'm all in favor. I have concealed carry. However, it comes, the rights come with responsibility. You cannot draw it, much less fire it, unless you're faced with lethal force coming at you. This was not. It's property defense. He needs to be prosecuted to set the precedent. You can't simply draw on people because you're inconvenienced. They're taking your stuff or running away from you. Okay, let me ask, I, and, and I agree with everything you said. So, I, my, my question is, to, to secure a conviction, you've got to get 12 people on a jury to agree unanimously that he should be convicted. Not that his conduct violate the, the law, but that he should be convicted. Can You think you can get 12 people that would agree with that under these circumstances? Yes. Okay. Good enough. Thanks. Well, that I mean that that's what the that's what the issue is going to be because, like I say, from a prosecutor's perspective, that this is a, a I mean it, it's it's a no brainer. The facts are pretty clear, and Chris is absolutely right. You you are only able to use deadly force to essentially protect yourself if your if your life is threatened or if, if someone else around you's life is threatened. Um, it, it's not you can shoot people just because they're taking your your stuff. That's not a justification for that's not a justification for using you know deadly force. And and the law is very very clear on that. But there is a rising level of frustration. I I think that that's out there. Uh, let's talk to Jim in Kenosha. Jim, your neck of the woods. Good afternoon. Hey, hello. How are you doing? Hi, Jim. What do you think? Well, um. I'm also a person, you know, your your last caller pretty much summed up what I'm thinking. Um, yeah, uh, if someone's walking to my house, uh, well, yeah, they're going to... Right. They're, 
going to be not at all well. Well, right. Uh, Look, in, in your house in the middle of the night, though, is different than somebody who's stolen your car and is driving away, though. Yeah, well, a car can be replaced. Yeah. Um, it, you know, to me, it's just uh, town has been through, uh, you know, so much that, uh, you know, makes, like, legal gun owners like me look like, oh, you're a bad guy because you're, uh, you know, gun-toting maniac. Yeah. I'm a collector. I mean, I, yes, I own some guns that maybe, do I need them? No, but, um, you know, does someone need an electric bird bath? No, but, you know. Well, no, right, and I understand, right, and um, thanks, thanks, and see, and again, I don't know if this guy was a concealed carry holder or not, but assuming for the sake of argument he is, you're right, that's going to be the argument, okay, well, this is, this is these out-of-control gun nuts, and and it's, it's, it's not that, but it's clearly an error of judgment, and it's a violation of the law, but I do think, and again, I have, I have dozens of texts that have come in, and I'll, I'll read a couple when I get a minute, but it, I've had dozens of texts that come in, and I would guess the vast majority of the texts are people saying, Jeff, we understand what you're saying about the law, but don't, don't you understand people are sick of crime, the system is just not working, this is the deterrent that, that's out there. And again, I keep telling people you can't take the law into your own hands, and the law says you can't use deadly force, at least in my opinion, in a situation like this. We're, we're not, we can't let ourselves become the wild, wild west, but the, the the frustration that average citizens have with this is one of the things that authorities, whether it's the court system or whether it's the DA's offices or whether it's the police or whatever, you need to recognize that, that people are angry about about these things. And even if they're wrong to take the law into their own hands, they're, they're still maybe inclined to do that. Tony on the northwest side. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. If I was on the jury, you'd be not guilty. And I'm telling you, I'm really sick of this because the prosecutors and the judges are allowing these people on the street. Once they steal cars, they're back doing it again, again, again. Where does it end? But, of course, the, the, Tony, as I said earlier, we, we, we don't have the death penalty for, for car thieves. And, I, I mean, do, do we really? I understand, but, okay. Jeff, I bought a brand-new car. I love my brand-new car. If I'm at a gas station now, if someone tries to steal it, I will shoot them. Period. Mm-hmm. Well, Tony, I guess I, I my, my my caution <laughs> my caution is if you don't look, Tony. I mean, I I, I it, it it all depends on the facts. Now, if if you're if you're threatened, I mean, it, this isn't a situation where you're in the process of getting carjacked and your and your life is threatened because that that changes the facts as to whether you can legitimately use self defense or not. But if, if these sort of situations, Tony, your new car is getting driven off, the person is not posing a threat to you. My my legal advice, my free legal advice from recovering lawyers, don't shoot them because then you're not going to have a chance to listen to me. You're you're going to be you know what, what watching whatever's on the prison TV you know for for the next couple of years. Now again, I I it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out if if there's sort of a defense that's posed but but here's the bottom line criminals are emboldened they are becoming bolder and bolder i think average citizens are unhappy that you know they they are victims and we have a system that doesn't do anything or doesn't do much to deter this type of stuff so they're 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 kind of going vigilante they're taking the law into their own hands that's wrong it's illegal don't do it but I will tell you again, 
Lots of people say that they think that they would behave in that same sort of fashion. My caution is don't. But the bigger story is, again, to judges who might be listening, to prosecutors who might be listening, to cops who might be listening, you've got to get this crime stuff under control to the politicians who figure out ways to apologize for the criminal elements and don't want them held accountable. You also contribute to this environment where I think people feel the necessity to take the law into their own hands because they don't think the law is backing them up. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I am trying to gauge interest in, in this because it's something that I, I don't hear anybody at all talking about. And, and and I understand, especially from the world of sports, you, you've got around here in particular, we've got with the Bucks success that, that's taking the air out of a lot of other stuff. But you've got the Packers training camp that opens next week. You've got the first place, I never get tired of saying that, the first place Milwaukee Brewers. But there is something else going on this week that in a normal universe would be getting a ton of attention. What is that? Well, this Friday, the Tokyo Olympic Games, the 2020 Olympic Games start. The the opening ceremony is this Friday. Now, don't correct me. I understand that it is July of 2021, but this is these are the games, the Summer Olympic Games from last year that were put off because of concerns about the pandemic. The problem is in Japan, it's I don't want to say it's as much of a mess as it was a year ago, but it's darn near as much as of a mess as it was a year ago because you have very, very low number of people who have been vaccinated in Japan. You have um, very, very tight COVID rules. Well, the, the rules for this Olympics are as follows, and I'll just hit some of the highlights. Um, spectators from outside the country are not allowed in. So if you have a child or a grandchild or a close friend that's participating in the Olympics, you are not allowed to go. Well, originally the idea was going to be that even though you can't have spectators from out of the country coming in, that at least they were going to allow people from inside Japan to attend at the venues. Well, as a general rule, that that has now been changed. Now, there might be some small Olympic venues in some of outlying areas that let a few people in, but the general rule now is, because of COVID, no Nobody in person in the events at all, which is, of course, causing a lot of heartbreak and heartache for a lot of these sponsors who paid millions and millions and millions of dollars for the right to you know, be at the Olympic Games and, and be at the venues and set up your, your huge displays and stuff outside the arena where the basketball teams are, are going to play because you figured that there's going to be 20,000 people streaming into that on a daily basis and you'll have a chance to expose your product. Well, okay, you're out of luck if, if that's you because the Olympic Games, for all intents and purposes, will be played before or no one <laughs> will be played before no one. There are all sorts of restrictions on the athletes, including multiple testing for COVID, including quarantines, limits on what can happen in the Olympic Village. You, you're only allowed to get to the Olympic Village no more than five days before your event, and you are required to leave within 48 hours of either your event ending or you being eliminated from your event. In other words, no, no hanging out there. On top of all this, 
you have now, as people are starting to arrive, because keep in mind the opening ceremonies on Friday, you have COVID that is spreading. And there's all sorts of reports that you've got some people from various teams that have come into the country and, you know, they they, they tested positive for COVID when they, they got there. There's other people that have been tested for positive, tested positive when, when they're, they're here. So the question now is, is how bad is this? There's reports that, um, for example, I'm looking at the latest headlines. You know, there's a report that, you know, a member of the U.S. gymnastics team um, has tested positive for for COVID while training for the Olympics. And now there, there's all sorts of people that are wondering, all right, is this is this going to spread? What exactly is going to happen? There's all sorts of limits at the Olympics as to what athletes can do. I'm looking at some of these requirements. For example, athletes are required to stay six and a half feet apart from each other unless they are on the playing field. Physical interactions, including hugs, handshakes, and high fives, are discouraged. At mealtimes, athletes must, must sit six and a half feet apart. So you, you can't, you know, go sit at a table with your, your friend and you can't be like shoulder to shoulder. Um, if you're staying at the Olympic Village, you have to eat there or at a couple of other specifically permitted locations and uh, you can't play tourist. You, you can't go out. So you're essentially a, a prisoner in there. So it, it's a completely different dynamic. You've already got people who are coming down with COVID. You've got the Japanese people who are very, very divided about this. Lots of protests that the Olympic are going on at all because a number of people are saying, look, this is the ultimate super spreader event. You got people coming in from outside the country who might be bringing this here. In short, if it's not a mess, it'll do to a real mess gets here. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't know if it's because of the, the year-long delay. I don't know if it's because of all the different rules and regulations and all the different things that are being done to impose limits on this. I mean, I, for one, can't imagine an Olympics that's being played essentially just in front of the TV cameras, but that's the reality that's there. But all these different things, including the year delay, have just, on a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being, I can't wait for the Summer Olympics to start, how cool is this going to be, and 1 being, eh. Are the Summer Olympics starting on Friday? I got to admit, I'm about a one and a half. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. The Olympics start on Friday. Lots of people have invested, athletes have invested their entire lives training for them. You have lots of corporations that have invested hundreds of millions of dollars. Tokyo, which is putting on the Olympics, has spent hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in, in the infrastructure for this stuff. Now nobody's coming to the party. All right. Do you care about the Olympics at all? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Normally, I'd be kind of getting jazzed for the Olympics, but for whatever reasons, whether it's the delay or all the different restrictions or the fact that there's not going to be people around and it's going to be a TV Olympics, uh, my interest is probably as low as it has ever been. Where are you on that scale? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think maybe the most telling story out of the twenty twenty now twenty twenty one Summer Olympics, uh, Tokyo, uh, uh, Toyota 
which is, of course, a, a major Japanese company. Toyota announced today that it would not be during the Olympics. It was pulling all its car advertising for Japan television, not worldwide television. So I'm not suggesting that if you're watching the Olympics, you might not see Toyota ads here. But in Japan, they're pulling all their auto advertising from Japan television, Japanese television, because apparently the Olympics have become so controversial. There are some polls that suggest that an overwhelming majority of Japanese don't want the Olympics to occur. They believe it's going to be a super spreader event. They believe that like sinking all this money into infrastructure has been a huge uh, loss. They, they think it's irresponsible and dangerous for the committee to go ahead and have the Olympics in Japan. And it's become such a hot potato that now Toyota is saying, okay, we're, we're, we want we want nothing to do with this, at least inside Japan. We're not even going to have our, our car advertising and stuff on any of the Japanese TV. Wow, Jeff, I don't care about the Olympics, but the world needs to get over this COVID restriction nonsense and let it rip. It's been a year and a half. COVID is here to stay. The world needs to learn how to live with this like every other virus. Well, I have four words to that. My comment would be it not, let's see, my four words are going to be not going to happen because whatever we might feel about COVID in the United States, um, you, you have a number of other areas of the world that aren't even close to our vaccination numbers for what, whatever reasons, whether it's a lack of availability of reliable vaccines or vaccine hesitancy or whatever. But, you know, you you have a large number of countries in the world that are still grappling with this. And, it, and, if, and if you think it doesn't affect everybody, I mean, as I was saying a minute ago, look at what's going on in the stock market today. I mean, the stock market... Right now it's down 861 points. That's better. That's 100 points up from where it was a little bit earlier. But that's, that's worldwide concern about the, the pandemic, which is for everybody that says, well, we, we need to get over it. Well, okay. The, the, the world is not over this as of yet. And as long as we're being held hostage by, you know, spikes in COVID, on a global basis, it's going to be affecting all of us. And, you know, that's why if you have money invested in your 401k, for example, and you got money in the stock market, you, you should you should care about our ability to come through this pandemic. 855-616-1620. But the truth of the matter is, I, I think, you know, I think they should have canceled this Olympics. I think that the trying to stage this in the fashion they're doing it is kind of like half a loaf not allowing spectators. I think it's just turned a lot of people off. And now you've got the hostility from people in the home con- in the home country of Japan. Let's talk to Scott in South Milwaukee. Hi, Scott. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Yeah, as far as watching the Olympics, I mean, because there's some stuff I like to watch. I mean, I like to watch the swimming and the wrestling, whatever, just stuff, just stuff like that I like to watch. But the, but the overarching question that I have is, how can a how can a, a major industrialized country such as Japan not have a better vaccination yeah. of their citizens? Yeah. That's what I don't. I mean, because they've known about this for over a year and a half now. How are yeah. they not more vaccinated? Well, no, and I think that I think that that's a a fair question. Whether and especially a, a country like Japan, and I don't want Japan's not totalitarian. It's not like Russia or China in that regard, but. 
but yet Japan is is a very regimented society, and that, that that's it's like okay, we we've got all this stuff coming on, you know, we we need to have the vaccines, and everybody needs to have vaccine, and we have to have the program to get people in rural areas and urban areas to to get them vaccinated or whatever. No, thanks to Claude. that is that is a very very fair question that, that that's out there because right now you're you're looking at a full scale mess now with with. Again, with the Delta variant and stuff, is there a limit as to what they could do? Yeah, but I think one of the things that we know, is, and this is not, that this is not uh, getting into the discussion of should vaccines be mandatory or not. But one of the things that we know is that for people who are vaccinated, your chances of getting COVID are dramatically less. Jeff, I usually sit and watch the Olympics and I DVR some of it. This year, I could care less. I think it should be canceled. If they can't even have spectators, then they should cancel. Well, yeah, I think that's that. That's sort of, and that would be my argument. The other thing that's going on here, and it's this broader question, as I was saying, you know, every four years, cities bid for the Olympics and the right to have the Olympic Games, and it always, almost always, turns out to be a financial debacle for the, the host city because you build all this infrastructure, and then best case scenario, you use it for like two weeks, and then you you don't use it again. And you see this with one host city after another. I think one of the things the Olympic Committee is going to have to look at is does it make sense to have a permanent site? A, a permanent Olympic site, whether it's Tokyo, Japan, or Athens, uh, Greece, or Los Angeles, California, or wherever, a place that, you know, every four years, the Summer Olympics are going to be held, or the Winter Olympics are going to be held. And, and so, you know, people know this is where it's going to be, so you're not expecting a host city to kick in, you know, hundreds of millions or however much it's going to be. Um, Jeff, Okay, and then again, people want to talk to me about the vaccine, and I, I, I don't want to go down this route anymore. You, if you want to get the vaccine, whether you make that decision, it's your choice or, or not. But I think we are seeing some of the effects of this, and and I, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because, especially in some of these team sports, where you get, uh, I think it was South Africa that they have a couple of the soccer players tested positive for COVID. Well, you, you've been interacting with your other teammates, so you know what. What is going to happen? I, I will not be surprised if I see if some teams end up because of positive COVID tests, you know, having to drop out entirely. This is one where I think they might have just been better off saying, OK, 2020 is just one of these years that we all want to get past. But it's trying to stage an event like the Olympics, bringing people in from all over the world is is a bridge too far in 2021. We'll see what the TV art ratings are. My guess is that they're down dramatically. I think a lot of people are just kind of like, well, ho-hum, are they really having the Olympics? And how are they going to do that? The fact that there's a 12-hour time difference between here and um, where, where they're having them, I, I don't, between here, here in Tokyo, that doesn't help either because, for example, the opening ceremonies are going to be on at like 7 in the morning uh, because they're going to be occurring at 7 at night Tokyo time. So a lot of the different events that people might be interested in are going to be either on tape delay or they're going to be live, but at really like weird hours of the day. So don't don't know how that's going to, all going to play out. But if you are an Olympics fan, well, that that's great. They start on Friday. This will be an Olympics Games like an Olympic Games like no other. And I'm not sure that's very good. There is a report that 
one of the alternates on the U.S. women's gymnastics team. And, of course, the, the gymnastic, gymnastics are a big thing at the Summer Olympics Games, and everybody's paying attention to Simone Biles, who's just a, a wonderful, just an absolutely wonderful athlete. In any event, there's a report out today that one of the alternates on the U.S. Olympics women's gymnastic team has tested positive for, for COVID. Apparently, the way it works is there's there's like four or six alternates who have been kept separate from the main members of, of the team. And so they're, they're thinking that this isn't going to necessarily impact on like Simone Biles or anything like that because they um, they haven't been in close contact with each other. But th- this is the problems that you get when you're trying to stage an event like this and you've got young people and you've got lots of people from all over the world coming in. It, it's it's how long can you do that? Simone Biles, by the way, who, of course, is the, the shining star of the U.S. Olympics teams this year, I, I met her once. We were... Um, my, my late wife was a big gymnastics fan, and we were a few years ago, well, this been more than five years ago, but I remember we were in California for, like, I think the U.S. Gymnastics National Tournament, and this is when Simone Biles was just starting. And so we were we were all at the airport afterwards, and a number of the female gymnasts were on the way back. They were on our, our flight from California to Minneapolis, and they... First of all, they're really small. They're incredibly, incredibly tiny. And they were also incredibly, incredibly nice. And this is when Simone Biles, like I say, was was first starting out. And she was just great. And you, you, you want to see her do extremely well. And, you know, look, I'm pulling for the U.S. team. I'm just like, this Olympics, this is kind of maybe maybe it was a bridge too far. All right. Political correctness run amok or long overdue because of racist tones? Here's the deal. There there are various species of the fish carp. Hear, hear, hear me out. And, and carp, they're, they're kind of like, carp are kind of like swimming pigeons. Carp are an invasive species. And about 50 years ago or so, there were four species of, of carp. Big head, silver, grass, and black carp, which were brought over from China about half a century ago. And what, what they were done, the, what the purpose of, the, these carp, these carp eat anything. Again, they're just, they're, they, they, they eat anything. And they were brought over and that they were introduced in Mississippi. Here's the history of this. And the, they were used to essentially clean ponds of algae, weeds, and parasites. Okay, that, that's what the purpose was. Well, these various types of carp, which came in from China, they, they got out of, of where they were in Mississippi and they migrated, uh, into larger rivers and bodies of water and, and they found their way to the Mississippi River, as a matter of fact, and, and now they have been introduced into the Great Lakes. Well, I mean, the Great Lakes and fishing around the Great Lakes is a, is a big deal. It's, um, it's like a, a seven billion dollar industry. And what happens is there's no natural predators for the, these carp. And so the, these big, ugly carp, what they do is they eat all the other fish and there's not any defense against them. So that's why, you know, they put in electric fences. They're, they're trying to deal with the, these, this invasive species of carp. Now, since the carp came into the United States, they have been referred to collectively as Asian carp. That, that's how, that's how they've been referred to for, for 50 years. They're Asian carp because these species of carp 
all came from China, which is in Asia. So collectively, we refer to these four species as as Asian carp. Well, at least we, we have until recently, because wildlife officials are now saying we have to stop calling them Asian carp. And the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, a matter of fact, since since April, they have started the process on their website of purging the phrase Asian carp and instead calling them invasive carp. We wanted to move away. This is what the director of the Wildlife Service's Great Lakes Regional Office says. We wanted to move away from any terms that cast Asian culture and people in a negative light. We wanted to move away from any terms that cast Asian culture and people in a negative light. So we don't want to call these carp, which came from China, we don't want to refer to them as Asian carp. And, of course, some people, in the story I'm looking at, are now saying, well, even if you don't call them Asian carp, calling them invasive an invasive species or invasive carp, that's culturally insensitive as well because in many Asian nations, these big old ugly carp, they are a valued food source and a good luck symbol in China. So how dare we look down at these particular fish that are eating all these other fish? We should embrace them. We shouldn't call them Asian carp. We shouldn't even call them an invasive species because Well, all right, people know this invasive species came from China, and and they might tend to think ill of Chinese people or Asian Americans because we call them Asian carp. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. As I frequently say, I understand that there's real racism in this world, and I understand that there is hostility and violence that are done against people based on their religion or their gender or their ethnicity. But, all right, Asian carp, called that way for the last 50 years because they came from Asia. Do we need to say, okay, we're going to get rid of this, no more referring to the Asian carp as Asian carp, and let's not even call them an invasive species because that might reflect poorly on China because, I don't know, they love eating these things in China. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is one of my responses where I just kind of throw up my hands and say, give me strength. I mean, is is seriously, I, I think rather than worry about what we call them, what we need to be doing is figuring out more ways to keep these things out of the Great Lakes and eating the perch and all the other stuff that they are apparently eating. 855-616-1620, all right. Does being woke require us to no longer refer to Asian carp as Asian carp? We discuss in just a moment. One of our texters <laughs> stole my thunder because you know we're, we're talking about the, this 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 wokeness, and we can no longer call Asian carp Asian carp. We, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has jumped in for the last couple of months and said we, we've got to purge all references to this because some some people some Asian people might find it to be a slur. Well, gypsy moth. You heard the thing gypsy moth. Well, um, there's now a push from the Entomological Society of America to to drop the name gypsy moth because the Romani people in Europe consider the word gypsy to be a slur and that um, some people think that it shouldn't be in the name of an invasive insect species. So if you've got an invasive insect species, we can't we can't call them gypsy moths. 
Um, and if you've got an invasive species of Asian carp, we, we can't call them Asian carp. And in the words and view of some people, we can't even call them an invasive species because, well, they're, they're a delicacy in China, even though they're an invasive species in the United States. Stuff like this makes my head explode. It just absolutely does. Danny in West Dallas. Hi, Danny. You're in WTMJ. Oh, boy, do I hear you there about your head exploding. Uh, what I'm wondering now is, okay, would a better name for them be environmentally non-compliant carp? <laughs> that, that's right. Or, no. or could, could you say predators or something like that? I don't I don't well, know exactly. Yeah. But, but the problem that I have with, you know, okay, they want to call them uh, invasive species carp or whatever. Okay, well, that's fine that we have the one invasive species. What happens when we get three or four different carp that are invasive species? You can't just lump them all, all under one sum because then, you know, how do you... How are you going to be able to separate one from the other? Well, well, right, exactly. No, they, thanks for the call. That exactly. What? See, this is for for people who are, are thinking this is offending or, or racist. It it's a factual determination. These are carp. These various species of carp were introduced from Asia. They were brought from China. So it is a descriptive term, and it, and it's not like you're using. I don't know some some negative reference towards Asians. It, that that's not what it is at all. I mean, it is from China, but but you know there is this like kind of like larger point that's out there, which is, all right. I, look, I I appreciate, for example, there's all sorts of stories about you know violence and discrimination towards Asian Americans, and and I think it's appropriate to denounce that. And no question about it. But but how kind of twisted do we have to be, and how deep down the bureaucratic rabbit hole do you have to go that somebody says, well, look. I saw these stories of a couple Asians Americans in New York City that were getting uh, attacked because of their ethnicity and they were victim of a hate crime. Well, we, we, we can't call Asian carp Asian carp anymore because we're afraid that, I don't know, somebody that, somebody that uses that as a derogative term towards this invasive species then might be motivated to go out and commit a hate crime against, um, Asian Americans. And, and to get from one point to another, Asian carp that are an invasive species to hate crimes against Asian Americans. You, you got to take about 15 different leaps of logic, some small, some giant. And then, like I say, that the funniest part about this whole thing is even trying to label them this invasive species. And they are an invasive species. These things eat everything in their path. We apparently can't even call them an invasive species anymore because... Well, that has a derogatory term because, well, that's, you know, because people like him. Right. And there's all these different examples that people are giving. You know, what, what about Italian sausage? Yep, I, that's it. You know, if you've ever had a bad experience with Italian sausage, we, we've got a, th- those sausage races that they run at American Family Field. Well, got to get rid of the Italian. No more French fries. Um, <laughs> yeah, with, I mean, where, where do we have where do we have the, the lines here? How, how about that drink? You know, can you? Can you call them white Russians anymore? What is, is that a discriminatory thing? Or if you wake up one day and you've got a hangover because you've had too many white Russians, can, can we have, can we have that? Or is that a derogatory term? Jeff, what about the Japanese beetle? I think that that's an Asia, that's an invasive species. What about the Asian beetle? Right. These, these are the rabbit holes that you go down 
when you start opening this particular door. But it's all based on the premise that you have like hate crimes and crimes of violence and and discrimination against people based on a, a correct term that we use and have been using for decades involving, in this case, whether it's gypsy moths or whether it's the Asian carp or, or whatever. Once you go down this rabbit hole and once you go through the looking glass, it's tough to come back from it. And I, I guess, you know, we, we all want to pride ourselves on being woke. And, of course, nobody wants to be guilty of contributing to, you know, hostility towards other groups. But I'm telling you something. If, if the reason you engaged in a hate crime against an Asian American is because you're upset that those big, ugly Asian carp, you know, ended up in a stream that you fish in, you've got more problems than just what the Asian carp are called. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. The newest summer event is the WTMJ Classic from the club at Lock LaBelle and Oconomowoc, and you can be part of it. Our WTMJ team is hitting the golf course this August for a day of food, fun, and networking. Want to join us? Tune in all week for a chance to win a round of golf for you and three friends. It's the WTMJ Classic, hosted by the club at Lock LaBelle, sponsored by Culligan Water Waukesha, Sit Mean Sit Dog Training, Professional Construction, Inc., and Evans Transportation Services in Brookfield. Um, for those of you keeping score at home, the uh, bloodbath on Wall Street is continuing. Dow Industrials right now down 924 points. Uh, the NASDAQ down 215. The S&P down 92. This is, um, this is the worst. It's on track. Now, there's an hour before the, the markets close. But right now, the index is on track for the worst one-day decline since last October. And it's nothing – this is the frustrating thing. It's – it's nothing, it's not like it's earning reports or some, hey, there's a, a pipeline and that, that's exploded or things like that. It's, it's simply concerns about the Delta variant and it's got people freaking out thinking, okay, well, maybe it's going to delay the recovery or whatever. And, um, it, it's having a huge impact on the market today. And this is after a bad week last week. All right. All right. I hope, I hope Tom Barrett is happy. I hope a couple older men and women in Milwaukee is happy. Remember, I, as I talk about frequently, you, you, you leave your car on the streets of Milwaukee, and you know what, what are the odds that it's going to be there when you come back? 27 cars stolen a day in the city of Milwaukee. And the response of the mayor on our air, our air about a week ago and a couple members of the Common Council isn't to blame the car thieves. Uh-uh. It's to say, well, the problem is Kia and Hyundai, their cars are too easy to steal which is sort of like saying, hey, you know, you, you didn't have a state-of-the-art deadbolt on your door, so it's your fault that you, you got robbed. But that's the response. Instead of saying, we've got too damn many kids that are out there stealing cars that do it with impunity, they're not afraid of anything, there's no consequences, we got to crack down on this. The response is, okay, let, let's blame the car manufacturer. Well, okay, here's it. Kia and Hyundai, um, they have both come out and they have said in their newest models, when they... Kia is going to start, uh, Hyundai is going to start doing this um, in the fall, and Kia is going to start doing it in next spring. What they say is that, okay, here's what we're going to do. We are, we're changing our manufacturing model, and all our cars will have this, uh, will have a feature on them, which we call it, they're, they're called an engine immobilizer. And what this is, this device that you put on the engine, and it's, it, it's linked by computer to your key fob. And so it's difficult to start the car without the, the key fob. So if you don't have the key fob, 
that sends a, a code to the computer that the car doesn't start. That That's how these things are supposed to work in theory. I'm not going to even get into whether they're effective or not. But anyhow, Kia and Hyundai say, okay, we're going to add these engine immobilizers there. In addition, they say, okay, here's what we're going to do in the short term. Um, we're going to give you a free wheel lock if you want. And you can, um, if you own a Honda or Kia, Hyundai or Kia and you live, work, or attend school in Milwaukee, you can go to a police department district location and you can get a wheel lock. And um, that, whether that's going to make any difference or not, I don't know. But you can get a free steering wheel lock. So they say, all right, look, you're, you're complaining. This is what we will end up doing. So here's my question. If, if after they start doing this, there's still almost as many or as many cars being stolen. But now instead of Kias and Hyundais, it's Hondas or it's Fords or it's GMCs or it's Chevys or whatever. Who Who are the mayor and the common council going to blame then? So Kia says, okay, you're complaining about this. This is what we'll do. We'll change it so it makes it a little bit more difficult to steal our cars. My argument is what's going to happen then? The car thieves will either find a way to outwit these things, or alternatively, they'll just start stealing other cars. So I have nothing against making the cars more difficult to steal. To me, that makes a lot of sense, and that's that's fine. And if you can add something like this in without jacking up the price of the car dramatically, that's fine. But the underlying problem is we don't deal with car thieves. We let them go. If we catch them, we put them back out on the streets. There are absolutely no consequences for stealing cars. And you can have all the clubs in the world. You can have all the steering wheel locks. You can all have all the security enhancements you want. But for car thieves, where there's a will, there's a way. And until you start concentrating on the underlying problem, which is the thieves themselves, you're never going to solve this problem and why the mayor, why members of the Common Council, why the DA's office and why the judiciary won't deal with it is absolutely beyond me. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right. If you're one of those people, like my friend Joe, who loves to go, um, he, he has a like he goes to this like fishing camp up in Canada, and it's one of these deals where he gets a bunch of his buddies, and they they fly in, and then you get dropped off, and then you're kind of you you do nothing but like fish and hang out and stuff like that for a week, and, and a lot of these are in remote areas of Canada. Well, I mean Canada has been closed for essentially since the start of the pandemic. Well. Joe, if you're listening, here's the good deal. I don't know if you can get it set for this year, but uh, Canada is announcing that it's going to open its borders to fully vaccinated Americans on August 9th. You have to have been uh, vaccinated at least 14 days ahead of entering the country. But the restriction that Canada has had on non-essential travelers is ending. Interesting, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays, they have not they have not been playing home games for for a year and a half. They they're playing their home games right now. I think in Buffalo, New York, and Canada is apparently opening up to them sometime later this summer. Though they're, they're going to be returning to Toronto, but the idea was Canada wasn't going to let the baseball team travel back and forth between the United States and Canada, and they weren't going to let uh, players from other teams come in. But apparently, they're loosening that up. But if you're if you're into uh, going to Canada for a vacation um, starting on August 9th, as long as you are vaccinated, you will be allowed to go in. All right. I want to read you a brief story. And then 
I'm going to open up phone lines, and I want – here is my question. What jumps out at you, if anything, from this story? This is from Madison.com. Dane, headline is, Dane County Fair shortens hours after fights in the parking lot. The Dane County, and this is from last weekend, the Dane County Fair moved up its closing time for its last two nights and mandated that minors be accompanied by adults after multiple fights broke out in the fair's parking lot Friday night, official sets. This would be last Friday. The new closing time for the fair taking place at the Alliant Energy Center was set three and a half hours earlier than originally scheduled at 7.30 p.m. instead of 11 p.m. for Saturday and Sunday. Dane County Sheriff's spokesperson Elise Schaefer said deputies responded to multiple physical and verbal altercations between a crowd of minors gathered in the Alliance Center parking lot starting about 7 p.m. Friday. At 9.30 p.m., deputies and fair security began to break up a crowd of more than 50 people, Lieutenant Iris Simpson of the Sheriff's Office said. Both city and town of Madison police were called in for assistance. The fights resulted in no arrests and no serious injuries, though a deputy was struck in the face, Schaefer said. The fair, which opens its gates at 9 a.m., began Thursday and runs through Sunday. All right. Now the story goes on. But if you were listening, is there anything about that story that that jumps out at you? Is there something that strikes you about the story? Dane County Fair, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Dane County Fair moved up its closing time for its last two nights. Mandated minors be accompanied by adults after multiple fights broke out in the fair's parking lot. Friday night, officials said. New closing time for the fair taking place at the Alliant Energy Center was set three and a half earlier than originally scheduled. Dane County Sheriff's spokesperson, Elise Schaefer, says deputies responded to multiple physical and verbal altercations between a crowd of minors gathered in the Alliance Center parking lot starting at 7 p.m. Friday, 9.30 p.m., deputies and fair security began to break up a crowd of more than 50 people. Both city and town of Madison police were called in for assistance. Fights resulted in no arrests, no serious injuries, though a deputy was struck in the face. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Lines. All right. Does this is what about that story? Now, there's something in particular I'm looking for, but is there something about that story in particular that jumps out at you? All right, let's start with Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're first. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, did you say that they're closing the fair at 7.30 p.m.? Uh, no, no, they, they, they were, on Saturday and Sunday, they closed the fair at 7.30 p.m. instead of 11 because of the fight in the parking lot, fights in the parking lot. Yeah, that's that's a really early time to be closing a state fair. I understand they're having problems, but that's probably not the answer. Maybe they should just crack down on the people that are causing trouble. Okay, thanks, Nicole. Okay, so your your your, your first takeaway was, oh my gosh, that on a on a Saturday and a Sunday night, that's 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 early to to close down a state fair and to force everybody out because you'd think that um you know Saturday night would be difficult. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Well, that that's not what I'm looking for, but I think that's fair. Okay, anybody else want to weigh in? And a number of people are weighing in on the text line. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I will tell you what jumped out at me about this particular story. 
Okay, so I'm, I'm just, there's no necessarily right or wrong answer to this. I just shared the story about something that happened out in Dane County over the weekend where they had to significantly limit the hours of the county fair because of problems in the parking lot with juveniles. And um, let's see, Jill asks, why was the crowd allowed to grow and get unruly for that long? Well, that's fair. I mean, the story says, you know, it started at 7 and around 9.30 is when, you know, they, they had to call for assistance and things like that. So, yeah, they... It, this this is what I talk about with broken windows all the time. The idea that if you if if you stop the the small stuff, it stops the small stuff from growing to big stuff. If you let it go, it typically gets to big stuff. That's a fair answer. Not what I was looking for. Taylor in Greenfield. Taylor, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, as I was telling your screener, the moment I heard about those circumstances and the action that was taken, it reminded me of Mayfair and what happened there on different levels. Uh, yeah. Fights had broken out, of course, and so initially, years ago, I guess, they put restrictions on minors where they, after a certain time they had to be accompanied by an adult. Mm-hmm. And more recently, as there was more extreme violence, the malls themselves closed several times in order to prevent further problems. So to me, there was a direct parallel there. Oh, no, they, well, it is. I mean, that, that's kind of the reaction. We, we've got the, these out-of-control kids, so our reaction to it is, we're going to we're going to close the crowns earlier. So everybody else that was planning to spend Saturday night listening to music and stuff at the Dane County Fair, well, you you can't do it because you've got the out of control kids. But that that's not what I was looking for either. Um, but that's fair. Jim and Bayview. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi there, Jeff. Hi, Jim. Uh, it it jumped right out at me. No arrests. That's what jumped out at me. Jim, to you and the, I was counting during the break, to the 25 or 30 people who, who texted me that same thing, you nailed it. No no arrest. Let, let me go back and, and, and read. Okay, so we talk about yeah. this out-of-control fight, more than 50 people, a deputy struck in the face, and no arrests. How can you make no arrests in a situation like that? I have no idea, but you know, if they would have nipped it in the bud on the, in yeah. the early on from seven o'clock at night there when it started getting out of control, they probably wouldn't have had to close it down the next couple of days early, and everybody could have had a good time. I, I thanks for the, I mean, I, I I agree with that, but once it gets, I'm, I'm trying to picture this situation. Okay, you you've got at least fifty people that are in fights. It's so bad that you have to call in outside help. They had sheriff's deputy. They had fair security. That's not enough. The sheriff's deputies and the fair security are not enough to restore order. So you've got to call in city and town of Mo- of Madison police. All right, no, 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 no fault with any of this. I, I get it. The problems are so large that you've got to bring in. Oh, we're going to put out an all points bulletin. Let let's get, get cops in from surrounding areas. No problem with any of that. But if the situation is that out of control that you got to call people in and you have a deputy that's hit in the face serious injury or not, how can you make absolutely no arrests? I mean, the the, the people that, that are fighting, why, why aren't you hauling them off, putting them in handcuffs and getting them the heck out of, of the situation? How can you make no arrests in a situation like this? Now, see, I, I think that this is, this is part of the problem 
that that you see on an ongoing basis with law enforcement, and it's it's not a fault of the rank and file police, but but our ideas don't engage. Look, you know, we 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 don't want you to risk antagonizing the the crowd. So you've got these miners that are involved in this fight and stuff. Well, let's ask them to knock it off. Let's ask them to stop it. What, look, what when did that happen? If it's bad enough that you've got to have the event security, and it's bad enough that you got to have the Dane County Sheriff's Department, and it's bad enough that you got to call in the city and town of Madison police, and it's bad enough that because the fights are so out of control, you cannot allow the fair to stay open past 7.30 on Saturday and Sunday nights. Why in God's green earth weren't you making arrests? Why weren't we hauling people off? So instead, we take these prophylactic measures. We say, all right, the fights are out of control. The juveniles are so out of control. We can't control the situation. We've got these fights. They're terrible. And the fights are terrible. So the reaction is, here, instead of grabbing and punishing and prosecuting the people that are causing the problem, we'll close the fair down at 730. Okay, so then the fights just start at five o'clock or whatever. But but regardless, it it's just this is the classic example of the tail wagging the dog. The problem is, and this kind of ties into what I was saying right before the the hour. That the problem is you've got people in the city of Milwaukee that are stealing thirty twenty seven cars a day. All right, so so what does the mayor and the common council say? Well, it's the car manufacturer's fault because it's too easy to steal the, some of these cars. So rather than grappling with the thieves themselves, we just you know we'll we'll we'll, we'll try to shame the manufacturers, make it tougher to steal, which doesn't change the fact that you've got criminals that are still running rampant on the streets. This is the same sort of thing. We we we've got fights that are breaking out in the parking lot at the state fair. It's a bunch of predominantly juveniles instead of arresting them, hauling them off, holding them for their parents, or heaven forbid, charging them with disorderly conduct, or maybe referring them to the DA's office if the conduct was serious enough for, you know, a misdemeanor charge, we simply say, well, go ahead, you know, just go go do go do whatever you're gonna do and we'll close the fair earlier. We're, we're through the looking glass on things like this. Yes, to all the people we're texting, that's what jumped out at me, too. No arrests made. You've got to call in police departments from all over the area. You've got to close the fair down three and a half hours early, but not a single arrest was made. Oh, that'll teach the punks. Back with more in just a minute. <laughs> Yes, and I, I do want to shout out the, the over 50 people that, that texted in and said it, it, it's no arrest. Yeah, it is. It's just these these things are mind-blowing. You've got the, this this melee, whatever you want to call it. Cops have to be called in from all these surrounding jurisdictions. A police officer is hit in the face, um, but but no arrests are made. Well, okay. I mean, maybe sometimes you have to realize that for these, you know, wonderful, progressively educated teenagers, if you're going to engage in in brawls, there have to be certain consequences. But that's not what we do. We close down the county fair (laughs) several hours earlier so the folks, the kids can just go find some other place to brawl. I've always believed that you need an exit strategy. There has to be some plan before you you act. I mean, I, I think, you know, that that's one of the lessons of life. It's like, okay, I'm going to jump in, but what what is the end game here? What am I trying to accomplish? How does this end? And there's so many people that, that do stuff because they think it's clever and they think it's fun, and then they, they do it, and then it's like, 
okay, what do I do now? It's sort of like when you're 12 years old and you decide you're going to run away from home and you pack up your stuff and you walk out of the house and you're like like eight blocks away from home and it starts to rain and then it's like, okay, what exactly am I going to do now? So, I mean, you always have to have like an end game and an exit strategy and how do I see this this ending and am I prepared for, you know, the, the consequences of, of my decision? You know, I think that's that's true about getting involved in like wars overseas and stuff. All right, we, we're getting in. How, how do we know when to get out? All those things. There, there's a classic example of that that's playing out nationally now. In Texas, you've probably seen this, the Republicans control the legislature, and the Republicans have veto-proof, a um, veto-proof majority in the Senate. But in the, the House, like the equivalent of the Assembly here, they're a couple, they're a couple short. So in order to conduct business, what you have to do is you have to have a quorum, which means two-thirds of the people there. So the Democrats don't have enough votes to stop this election, these election reform bills that are moving through, they don't have enough votes to stop them because they were unable to get a support from enough Texas voters that would, would give them, uh, a, again, like a majority. So they don't have enough votes to stop them, but they've got a couple more members than, than you need to have a quorum. So what they all do is they jump on this plane. They fly to Washington on a private plane. They're drinking Miller beer, which is, I think, a weird sort of thing to be drinking because well, how about Lone Star beer or something like that? But they're drinking Miller beer as they're flying from Texas. None of them are wearing masks. And these are the, the Texas Democrats who are talking about we need to have mask rules. So they get to Washington, D.C. Um, now five of them have come down with COVID which is sort of a, uh, you, you don't want to wish COVID on anybody, but it's sort of like, okay, well, if you're going to engage in a super spreader event, may, maybe this is the kind of thing that, you know, this is maybe this is what follows. But anyway, now they're in, they're in Washington, D.C. The Republicans are still going to pass their election reform. Uh, there are now orders to arrest any of these people when they come back into the state. They're they're accomplishing absolutely nothing, and they don't know what they do now. This is precisely what happened, what, about 10 years ago when you had the, the Act 10 movement in Wisconsin, and you had Senate Democrats who decided to have this hissy fit and, and head down to Illinois because they didn't like the fact that they didn't have enough popular support, enough votes, enough members to, to forestall it, so they decided to, to bail and abdicate their responsibility. Well, now you have all these Democrats in Washington Washington, D.C., they're the Texas Democrats, they're the, they're the governor of Texas has said, OK, I'm going to call one special session after another. We're going to get this done. Meanwhile, there's all sorts of bipartisan stuff like property tax relief and other things beyond election reform that they wanted to do that everybody could agree on. But you can't get done because you've got these yahoos that are sitting in Washington, D.C. and have apparently several of them have given each other COVID. Who knows where that's going to stop? But they're refusing to come back. And and I'm reading these reports of this. There, there's no strategy. There, there's no end game. There's no idea of what they're going to do other than that we're going to be, we're like the kid that's run away from home. We're 12 blocks away, as I was saying. It's now starting to rain, and we don't know what to do because mom and dad are still going to be there, and you're still going to have to eat your vegetables when you get back. So I, I think you, if you want to talk about how, like, walkouts don't work. This is one of these classic examples. And interestingly, if you look at the polls in Texas, this is not polling well among 
rank and file voters in Texas. But it's an end. There's no end game here. There's no strategy. It was like, oh, this will be cool. We'll get headlines. And now you're in Washington, D.C., and you're going, oh, what are we going to do about this? If you're going to do something, figure out what the results of this are going to be. What are you going to try to accomplish? And when you fail, you know, when you've dug that hole, do you keep digging or do you fill it in, climb out, and declare victory? There's a lesson for that in Tom's streetcar as well, but that's a topic for another day. Okay, the newest summer event is the WTMJ Classic from the club at Lock LaBelle and Oconomowoc, and you can be part of it. Our WTMJ team is hitting the golf course this August for a day of, it's actually August 17th, um, for a day of food, fun, and networking. Want to join us? Well, okay, here, here's, here's how you have a chance to win a round of golf for you and three friends at our WTMJ Classic. It's a WTMJ Classic hosted by the club at Lock LaBelle, sponsored by Imperial Service Systems, Pella Windows and Doors, Wisconsin, Griffin Ford, and Gruber Law Offices. All right, on, on all our shows, including mine, each day, Monday through Thursday, we're going to be taking one qualifier. And then what we're going to do is on Friday, we're going to pick one of, so we have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. On Friday, we will draw one name, one of those four qualifiers from the different days. will win a round of golf at our WTMJ Classic for themselves and three friends. So that that's kind of how it works. If you would like to be today's qualifier, caller number 12, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Caller number 12, to be a qualifier, and like I say, on Friday, we will be choosing, we'll be randomly picking one of the four qualifiers that gets the round of golf for themselves and three friends at the WTMJ Classic. It really, um, it, it sounds like a, a lot of fun. I'm hoping to be playing in it, um, but I, I do have this little thing like a radio show from noon until three, but I will definitely be on the grounds and we'll try to work it out. But caller number 12, wins is our qualifier for the day doesn't mean you win the prize got it you are qualifier and on friday somebody will do this and we're doing this on on all the the shows i think the morning news and steve's show and my show and wisconsin afternoon news for for sure i don't know beyond that and um well hope you can win and hope you can join us so it should be a lot of fun caller number 12 wins that and if you don't get to be a qualifier today Keep listening because we'll have a different qualifier Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday as well. The the COVID face mask thing just I'm over it. I, I just I, I am. And and I know I frustrate some people when I say this. I I I am vaccinated. I got vaccinated. I have no trouble with it. And don't send me the text saying I'm going to die in five years because I poisoned myself. Okay, you know, I hope you're wrong, but it doesn't matter. I, I've made that decision to, to do that because I really do believe that vaccinations are the way out of the, the pandemic. So I encourage people to do it. But at the same time, I don't. I don't um, I think you can be pro vaccination like I am and still at the same time be against mandatory vaccinations, because I think that you each individual has to make the choice of what's right for them based on their health concerns. And and for example, I mean, I know somebody who's pregnant and you know she's made the decision that she's not going to get the vaccine and and it's not because she's necessarily anti-vaccination but because you know she's pregnant and she's just not sure 
what, if any, sort of impact, you know, that might have. Okay, we've got our qualifier for today. Got our call. No, don't need to know who it is, but it got our qualifier for today. And then, um, you know, we'll do this again tomorrow and Wednesday and Thursday. Should be a lot of fun. So anyhow, I, I have a friend who she's pregnant and yeah, she's made the decision not to get vaccinated. And I, I to me, that I understand that decision. You know, that's, that's, I think, her concern. But as long as we still have a significant chunk of the country, certain areas and the world that are not vaccinated, we've got to understand that we have to live with, with COVID, which then brings us to how do we live with COVID? Well, this is starting in California, but it's getting traction in other places as well. Um, several California counties are requiring or at least strongly recommending face masks be worn again indoors by everyone, regardless of whether people are vaccinated or, or not. And, of course, this is contrary to the information that's given by the, the CDC. And the CDC says, hey, if, if you're fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear masks. And that's, of course, the, the incentive that people get at least one of the incentives that I think that people should get to, to get vaccinated. It's, hey, you get yourself vaccinated, you, you don't need to wear the masks. And I understand the problem is that then, well, how do you know who's vaccinated or not? There's a lot of people who are going around who aren't wearing masks that are unvaccinated. I get all that. But at the same time, if the science says, even with the Delta variant that's out there, if you don't need to wear a mask inside, how can government then turn around and say, well, we're, we're going to require it anyway? And how much support will people get? Now, the Los Angeles County Sheriff is, is already saying, I'm not going to enforce this. I mean, the, you know, I, I think that you've got to follow the science and that the CDC says that there's no need to wear it outside. I'm not going to enforce it. But a number of people, I'm looking at a story in the New York Times over the weekend, um, wary and weary, Los Angeles largely accepts restored mask mandate. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I That might play in Los Angeles. But I, I just I think people are over it and I don't think it's going to play here. Now, I'm not suggesting that you've got, you know, Tom Barrett or the Milwaukee County executive or the governor, you know, saying we need mask mandates. And I think there's also some questions under the law now with some of the recent Supreme Court re- rulings in Wisconsin about whether you can even do that or not. But I think this is really what I would describe as a bridge too far. Regardless of where you are on vaccinations, no vaccinations, the severity of COVID, I I just don't think that there's any public support at all for going back and for requiring people to wear masks in indoor settings. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, I mean, Mark, one of our texters, makes a, a point that I think is kind of it. So, Jeff, as far as I'm concerned, it's ridiculous and hypocritical. For over a year, we've been told to follow the science. And now I'm just curious as to whatever happened to the met- mentality. Um, also, what incentive will unvaccinated people have to get vaccinated if they still have to wear the mask? Yeah, that's... That's the that's the whole thing. I mean, the 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 two carrots 
that you have to go and try to persuade the persuadable who have not yet been vaccinated are, okay, first of all, you're, 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 more likely that you're not going to have a serious reaction to COVID if you get the vaccination. But secondly, if you're one of those people that don't like masks because you find them hot, you find them confining, you can't hear what other people say because it muffles people's voices, or you just view them as an annoyance, all of which I think are kind of valid concerns. All right, that this is the incentive to get yourself vaccinated. On top of that, I do think there are I think there, there's an element of self-determination here, and, and I've argued this before. At a certain point in time, if you make a decision, you live with the consequences of your decision. And that's what I would say to people who haven't, who made the decision they're not going to get vaccinated. You, you, you live with those consequences. And maybe you've decided that the, the risks of getting COVID you know, are, are smaller compared to the risks of getting the vaccination or, or whatever. You do that calculation. But the, the, what happens then is, okay, if you get sick, you get COVID, you, you know, you, you, you have to live with the consequences of it. And unless we're close to overwhelming our healthcare system, and, and we're not. I mean, there's a story in the Wall Street Journal today about how of the hospital admissions with COVID, uh, like 97, 98% of them are from people who aren't vaccinated. You know, and there are a handful of breakthrough cases, but that's, that's the, the small minority because as we know, as far as preventing COVID or serious consequences from COVID, the vaccines work. That that's statistically, you can't argue with the fact that the vaccines work. So if you want to take that risk, well, I mean, then then it's your risk. And like I say, unless we are going to overwhelm the hospital system with people who have chosen not to get vaccinated, I. I look at the increase in COVID counts, and it's kind of like, okay, well, these people, this is the risk that they are taking. Do we have a shortage of hospital beds now? No. Do we have a shortage of ability to treat people? No, no, we don't. So they've sort of assumed the risk of that, and you and I can argue whether or not it was a valid assumption of the risk, but it's what they did. Um, Jeff, I think the ship on mass sailed months ago with people who didn't want to be vaccinated and people who didn't want to be vaccinated. It's just simply not going to happen. Jeff, people are sick and tired of government overreach. Um, There have been so many lies. That's what the texter says. That wouldn't be my word. But there's been so many lies that have come out from Fauci, the government, the media, even medical professionals. Who can you believe anymore? That that texter makes, I think, a, a valid point that the problem is the science on this has evolved. That, that I do think that there's some people who don't exactly know what to believe, and it's why I've argued before that people like Anthony Fauci, who I don't consider to be a villain in any sense of the word, but I consider him to be way overexposed, and I think in many respects he's hurt the cause of, of science by going on television every other day and in some cases contradicting himself. And I understand science changes. I understand in the beginning they said no masks because they didn't understand the way COVID spread and then they changed it. So, I mean, I, I get that science evolves, but it doesn't necessarily evolve like every two or three days. And, you know, I, when, when you keep changing the opinion, it makes it more difficult for people to believe. But I think the general attitude here is, all right, we've got the vaccine that's there. People can decide for themselves. But as far as these sort of mask rules, particularly as apply to vaccinated folks, I just don't think I don't think people will will accept it. I just 
I think that ship has sailed. I understand that there's still some areas where the mask rules are in place, airplanes, airports, things like that. Don't know how long that's going to stay into effect, but you've got those limited rules, and you say, okay, well, if you're going to be in a tube for three and a half hours in close proximity to people, all breathing the same recirculated air, we're going to make you wear a mask. That's different than saying we're going to make you wear a mask if you're going to, I don't know, go into the local pet store for five or ten minutes. So they're doing this in California, but... If they think they're going to be able to do it across the country, legal or not, and like I say, in Wisconsin, that's an open question. I think this is, for the vast majority of people, regardless of where you are on the COVID scale, COVID is like the bluebonic plague, or COVID is not as bad as a mild cold. Wherever you are on that scale, I think that the mask rules, um, those have kind of They've, they've kind of sailed, and I would be surprised if any local official were to try to implement them again.